Today on Building in Faith with Pastor Ed Jones. Building in Faith. We are in a me generation, some have said. It's all about me. But as Christians, it's all about Christ. Jesus truly is to be the center of our lives. He is to be what we live for. We don't live for our children, though it's important to care for our children. We live for Christ. We don't live for our parents, though it's important to care for our parents. We don't live for ourselves, though we ought to take care of ourselves. But we live for Christ. Reaching up high, with arms open wide, we see. You're changing our lives, so we can be our hands and feet. What is at the center of our lives? Can we honestly say that Christ is at the center? We live in a world today that can easily distract us from what's most important. In today's message, Pastor Ed will exhort us to keep Christ at the center of our lives. Even good things like family and friends can become a priority above Christ. Be careful not to allow our self-centered culture to manipulate how we as Christians are to live. Look to Jesus and how He lived, and that is how we are to live. Now here's Pastor Ed with today's message entitled, Discipleship. Building in faith. We're going to open our Bibles to the Gospel of St. Mark, the 8th chapter, Mark chapter 8. In chapter 8, we have a confession that Peter makes and then a description of what it means to follow that confession through. It's one thing to make a confession about God. It's another thing to realize the implications of that confession for our daily life. And that's what this passage of Scripture deals with. Mark chapter 8, verse 27, Jesus and his disciples went on to a village around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have the mind of the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him along with the disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. 
What good is it for a man to gain the whole world? Yet forfeit his soul. Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Dallas Willard said, the word disciple occurs 269 times in the New Testament. Christian is found three times and was first introduced to refer precisely to disciples. Believers, Christians, are disciples of Christ. His learners, his followers. Did you ever have the experience, I'm sure you have, where you've tried to communicate to someone and you're communicating at different levels? It could be husband and wife. It could be parent and child. It could be co-worker. You're trying to speak to someone and then they said, well, you said, and you say, no, I didn't say that. No, you said that. I, I didn't say that. And you get into this discussion of what you said, what you didn't say, Communication isn't always that easy. I mean, I've preached sermons, and at the end of the service, greeting people at the door at times, someone would come and say, Pastor, I really appreciated the sermon. And then they would tell me about something I said in the sermon, and I'm thinking, I didn't say that. But they were blessed by it, so I was real happy. (laughs) Jesus was really being misunderstood. And he still is misunderstood. People really don't always understand what Jesus meant by follow me, by be a disciple, what a confession involves. And Peter was in that same boat at this time. Peter gave an incredible confession. He said, you're the Christ. He's speaking for all the disciples at this moment. He's speaking up for them and says, you're the anointed one, the promised one. And then Jesus begins to unpack what that confession would involve. Well, let's look first at the disciples' confession. In verses 27 to 30, we've read that. But look at what Peter says, Jesus is the promised Savior. That's what it means, you are the Christ. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am, Peter? And I said, you are the Christ. That meant the anointed one, the one that the Old Testament prophets pointed to. Now, when Peter said that, he brought to that statement all that contemporary theology taught about Messiah. Messiah would deliver us from Rome. Messiah was here to make life easier for us. Messiah would be like a Joshua leading us into the promised land, like a King David defeating our enemies, uh, like a Moses. But Jesus was uniquely the Son of God And he wouldn't fit into the definitions that contemporary theology wanted to fit him into. 
No, Jesus wanted to define himself, and so he used a very unique term, son of man, found in the book of Daniel, and he packed that full of meaning. He says, no, no, I'm the son of man. And that was referring to his deity, even though you might think it was referring to his humanity because he says son of man. But no, Jesus is referring to Daniel's vision of one coming back with the saints of God in the heavens. And Jesus is going to interpret himself. Now, notice in verses 31 to 33, Jesus says that the Messiah is going to be a suffering savior. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders. Notice, he began to teach him. He's speaking very plainly. He's not speaking in parables. He's very clear what it means to be the Messiah, the chief priests and teachers of the law, uh, that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. Now, what does Peter do? Peter actually takes Jesus aside. Now, can you picture this in your mind? Peter taking the Lord of glory, the King of kings, the Savior, and he takes Jesus aside. And the same word rebuke is used when you speak of demonic powers, where Jesus rebuked demons. Peter is not just saying, Lord, I, I think you've made a mistake here. Uh, Lord, this is not what we're expecting. I mean, he is really expressing himself and violent in his language, and he rebukes Jesus. And Jesus reacts to him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he actually rebukes Peter, and he says something frightening. Frightening. Get behind me, Satan. Wow. Peter didn't realize that it was Satan whispering in his ears that Jesus was not to go to the cross. He didn't realize that the influence at that moment, even though he meant well, was really inspired by hell. Peter at that moment was speaking for Satan. And Jesus rebuked him harshly, sternly. Why did Peter get so upset? Well, I think there are a lot of reasons, but some of the prominent reasons are this. If Jesus is going to suffer, and Jesus is going to die, and Jesus is going to be persecuted, What's going to happen to his followers? I mean, they've cast their lot in with him. They're following him. Uh, their plight could be very, very similar to his. It was um, Philip Yancey in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew. He wrote about a missionary back in the 16th century named Ricky going to China and he wanted to convey the gospel to these Chinese people and what he did was he took pictures he showed them a picture of Mary holding the infant Jesus and he told them the story about the supernatural birth of Jesus and they were enthralled but then when he took a picture of Jesus on a cross immediately 
they responded with horror. And they said, no, no, we want to worship Mary and Jesus, not the Jesus on the cross. When Jesus reveals what his Messiahship, who he really is, it rattles the disciples. It didn't fit into their agenda for Jesus. It didn't fit into their preconceived ideas of who Jesus was and what he should do. I want to ask you, what do we do with Jesus? Do we fit him into our neat packages, our neat idea of what he should be to us, to this world? Or do we let him speak for himself and guide us according to his agenda? Or do we squeeze him into our particular agenda? We might have our confession partly right, but filled with error that will lead us in the wrong direction. The disciples' confession. We got the Apostles' Creed down. We got the Nicene Creed down. We have the 16 tenets of faith of the Assemblies of God hopefully down. We understand that Jesus is God, that he died on the cross. But what implications does that have for you and for me? How does that affect the way you live tomorrow and the day after? The disciples' lifestyle. Jesus had no intention of filling his ranks with volunteers who professed allegiance to him but were unwilling to make sacrifices. Let me underline that. Let me say that again. Jesus didn't want disciples, followers, that filled his ranks but were unwilling to make sacrifices. In 1 John 4.17, it says, As he is, so are we in this world. As he is, meaning Christ, so are we in this world. Look at Jesus. How did he live? That's how we're to live. Look at Jesus. What was his relationship to, to God the Father? That ought to be our relationship to God the Father. We are to be in this world like Christ. We can't make up the rules of Christianity to suit our culture or to suit our personal feelings. We have to accept how Jesus described his followers if we really want to be his followers. First, notice, in verse 34, he says, we must deny ourselves and follow Christ. Then he called the crowd. Now, notice it says he called the crowd. Why? It wasn't for an elite 12. It wasn't for an elite group of people. It was the crowd. Everybody, everybody who professes to follow Jesus Christ falls into these categories and finds himself having to follow these laws, principles. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he says, if anyone would come after me, follow me, he must, note, deny 
himself. That means we must not gratify the flesh. We are in a me generation, some have said. It's all about me. But as Christians, it's all about Christ. Jesus truly is to be the center of our lives. He is to be what we live for. We don't live for our children, though it's important to care for our children. We live for Christ. We don't live for our parents, though it's important to care for our parents. We don't live for ourselves, though we ought to take care of ourselves. But we live for Christ. He is central. Everything centers around Jesus. He said, if you're going to follow me, let's have it at the very onset, at the very beginning. It means denying self. Saying no to yourself. John Calvin said, no man is qualified to be a disciple of Christ until he has been divested of self. No to self, yes to Christ. No to the flesh, yes to the spirit. No to my particular agenda, yes to his agenda. I know it sounds hard. It sounded hard to his disciples too. But Jesus has not changed the standard. There's no bargain basement Christianity. There's no lowering of the standards for enrollment in discipleship. Notice we must deny ourselves and follow Christ, but we must also do something else. We must take up our cross and follow Christ. Then he called the crowd to him along with the disciples. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and what? Take up his cross. I know that some of you have some beautiful jewelry. Nice cross on a necklace or cross earrings or some other cross. Now, if we really knew what that meant in our culture, they wouldn't be selling them uh, in the jewelry stores. It was the idea of a horrible, shameful death rejected by people. To take up our cross is not some real nice fancy jewelry that we're going to put on and wear and look, you know, real nice. No, no, it's more than that. It means that whatever Christ asked us to do, we will do. You look at the apostles and how they lived their lives and how they died. Thomas went to India and died as a martyr. Peter was crucified upside down. On and on, the disciples were willing to sacrifice their life. Followers of Christ willing to sacrifice themselves. In verse 29 of Matthew 19, it says this. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my name's sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Jesus is asking us to put him before our 401k. Ah, I know, I know. He's asking us to put his house before our house. Uh, I know, I know, I know. Uh, He's asking us to tithe 
and to give sacrificially before we buy a new car and put ourselves under payments and so we can't pay our tithes. There is sacrifice. There is taking up a cross. There is a willingness to say, the shame that was heaped on Jesus, I'm willing to take. The sacrifice that characterized Jesus, I'm willing to make. In Galatians 2, verse 20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. To take up a cross means you're crucified to this world, that you're alive to God and dead to this world. Christians sometimes make the terrible error of thinking following Christ means I'm going to live more comfortably in this world. That's not what it meant to the early Christians. Oh, if I follow Jesus, well, he's going to make life easy for me. Not necessarily. Following Christ means taking up a cross, going to the place where the flesh is crucified. Now, he goes on to talk about losing and gaining, uh, giving and giving up. In Mark 8, 35 to 37, it says, we must give our lives to Christ for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Well, what can a man give in exchange for a soul. If you could weigh the world and your soul on scales, your soul would be worth far much more. It was much heavier, much more value than all of this world's possessions. The enemy came and said, listen, I'll make you a king. I'll give you the wealth of the world. I'll make your name as popular as the most popular names on earth. I'll give you fame and fortune and power. You'd be a loser if you took it and lost your soul. That's what Jesus is saying. Well, if you lived a hundred years, what is that in comparison to numbers you're familiar with? A trillion times a trillion times a trillion. <laughs> I mean, you're going to live forever. What's a hundred years compared to all eternity? Jesus is saying, don't get caught in a bad bargain. Don't make the mistake. He, he's using commercial terms. He's, he's talking about an accountant. He's saying, it's just not worth it. In the book, uh, Therapy by David Lodge, it's a novel. There's a, a character and this main character, uh, the therapist asked him, List all the good things in your life in one column and all the bad things in the other. And so he lists all the good things in one column. And he says, under the good column, he wrote, I'm professionally successful, well-off, good health, stable marriage, kids successful, launched into adult life, nice house, great car, as many holidays as I want. And then under the bad column, he writes just one thing feel unhappy most of the time. Jesus was saying that things can't make you happy. This world is not going to fill the emptiness of your soul. And if you give your life for these things that one day will be gone in a puff of smoke, then you've made a terrible 
mistake. Well, that's all the time we have for today's edition of Building in Faith with Pastor Ed Jones of Faith Assembly in Poughkeepsie, New York. There's more to come from Pastor Ed's teaching series entitled Walking in Our Salvation. We encourage you to download today's message again to review. Simply log on to buildinginfaithradio.com and select today's date from the Building in Faith media player. Again, that's buildinginfaithradio.com. Maybe today's message brought a family member or friend to mind. You can share today's message via Facebook and Twitter by simply logging on to buildinginfaithradio.com and clicking on today's date. There, you'll find all the options to share. Now, we'd like to invite you to join us at Faith Assembly for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. For driving directions and more information, log on to buildinginfaithradio.com and follow the link to Faith Assembly. Or feel free to give us a call at 845-462-5955. That's 845-462-5955. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to Building in Faith with Dr. Ed Jones. We invite you to join Pastor Ed as he continues teaching through the Word of God right here on Building in Faith. Your Word brings so